You're listening to Vincenzo Landino on the Brand Boost Podcast, powered by Zoom. Welcome back to the show. Today we have someone that I've looked up to for a long time and many people look up to, Mr. Scott Monty. Scott uh, is not only an internationally recognized leader in digital communications, transformation, social media, and marketing, but uh, well, he actually started a, a new business six weeks ago that I didn't even know about. Thanks, Facebook algorithm. Scott, how are you? I am great, sir. How are you? Ah, that, I, can you just talk the entire time? I, I'm good. I'm better now that you're talking because your voice sounds so much better than mine. Well, if you, um, if you really want to get a dose of me talking all the time, just subscribe to my podcast, The Full Monty. The, is it thefullmonty.com, right? Uh, no. Fullmontyshow.com. Fullmontyshow.com. So head over to thefullmontyshow.com. Already call to action here for Scott's show. So don't leave this one. But if you like what you hear, thefullmontyshow.com. And you can hear that silky smooth voice the entire time. It's fantastic. Be careful. It's Full Monty Show, not the Full Monty Show. Uh, fullmontyshow.com. Fullmontyshow. That would have been like, that would have been interesting. I, I tried for for uh, the full Monty. That has been copyrighted by uh, I think Fox Entertainment. So how did you get away with full the full Monty the full Monty show? Well, because it's specific to the business world. I, I'm not straight on my show. And, and your voice and your last name is Monty. So I guess they really can't take that from you. That yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So tell me about Brain and Trust Partners that you just started yeah, that I so, don't even know enough about to ask you. So, so brain trust partners is something that was about six years in the making. I was out for drinks on, Oh, uh, let me see here. December 8th, 2010 with Christopher Barger. Uh, Christopher was my erstwhile counterpart at general motors when I was at Ford and he and I actually go way back. He used to be the chief blogger at IBM and I knew him you know, well over a decade ago. And he got the job at GM. And then I was being courted by Ford. And I called him up to see, you know, what his take was on Detroit and moving from the Northeast to the Midwest. And uh, he eventually talked me into it. And when I got there, uh, basically, uh, in, in automotive parlance, I went from zero to 60 in like five seconds and blew right by him. And I don't think he ever forgave me. Uh, but oops we, well, at least in public you know we, we were this uh, th th this great warring faction in public uh but behind the scenes we were uh just great friends and we went out to drinks uh, have drinks on uh, december 8th 2010 and and i carry around one of these uh uh what, what levenger calls a pocket briefcase it's basically a little leather slip case you can put uh, three by five index cards into and yeah, I, I got one of those, believe it or not. You do? I do. I still think there's room for analog in this digital world. We can discuss that after. I want to hear the story first, but, well, but that's definitely a point. But, but, and, and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to bear in this story, too, because you take the time to slow down and write stuff down. Not only does that actually help your memory, right, because the brain actually recalls how your hand works across paper, um, but it also gives you something to physically hang on to years later, instead of trying to go through years and years of Facebook updates, looking for just the right uh, piece of content. So we sat down, we had drinks, and I said, hey, wouldn't it be neat if a bunch of us that have this, this corporate 
digital experience all kind of banded together after we were done uh, or, or when we tired of the corporate life and created some kind of super agency. And he said, yeah, that does sound interesting. So You're like uh, the Avengers. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's like the Avengers of digital. Yeah. So I, I, I was basically Nick Fury uh, without the eye patch. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I jotted down a bunch of names uh, on, on this uh, index card. And then I, I put in, uh, you know, a few business uh, uh, business functions. Um, and, and Christopher's name was at the top of that list. And I made him sign it. And I, I countersigned it, and I still have, I still have that index card today. It's kind of our our founding document. So, so that's that hanging in the office, like, like instead of a in like lieu a of a dollar bill. bill. Exactly, exactly. So that was that was six years ago. Earlier this year in 2016, I was doing my own thing. Uh, Christopher left uh, his agency. He was doing his own thing. I had a client, uh, Tim Hayden, VP of Marketing at Zignal Labs, um, which does real-time cross-media analytics. Yeah. And um, they were closing down their marketing group to go more sales-heavy. And uh, Tim decided he was going to hang his shingle out again, as he had before. And I said, well, wait a minute. What? what th there could be something here. And then... Um, I, I was always uh, in touch with Frank Eliason, who was actually on that original index card, um, the, the legendary founder of the digital customer care team at Comcast, who then went on to head up uh, social at uh, City. So I called all these guys together and I said, what do you think if we actually put our forces together and came up with not an agency because the world doesn't need another agency? No, that's for sure. And it doesn't need to just be social and digital. I said, what do you think if we came up with a consultancy? And we put our heads together and started to define it. And we said, you know, a lot of companies need help with digital transformation. You know, the the, the world is broadsiding them now. Uh, CMOs, CIOs, CEOs, they're busy just focusing on day-to-day -day business. And sometimes it's hard to see what's coming down. If we can help them with strategy, if we can help them adapt to the outside world and also help them change the inside world in their companies and do it from a perspective of marketing and communications and HR and customer service and whatever other business function comes along that we think is relevant, then we're the guys to help because we've all had this experience with big brands before. So Brain Trust was born. It didn't have a name though. You know, we found it, we were about a week out from launch and we still didn't have a name. And I was on the phone with a prospect at, uh, you know, one of our clients now. And he made a suggestion to the contract. And I said, well, let me go back and talk with the partners and see what they say. He goes, yeah, you go back and check with the brain trust and let me know. Uh, there we go. And I go, dude, I, I got to go. He goes, what? Well, I, said, I think you just named my company. So I went back to the team and everyone was like, that's it. That's it. It was, it was just as simple as that because we had been trying for weeks and weeks to come up with a name and it was too complex and too forced and just, it, it didn't fit with our overall, overall mantra of common sense meets strategy. And if you're trying too hard, it really, it's not common sense. So it was back to basics for us and that's how brain trust was born. Common sense is something uh, very lacking right now, right? Yeah, but don't 
don't ask anyone if they think they're lacking it because no one thinks they they don't have common sense. But the problem is when you're when you're knee deep or neck deep in a business issue, sometimes it's easy to miss what might be obvious to people from the outside. And that's just that's human nature. So tell me a little bit more. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let's back up into your your time at Ford because uh, you, you glazed over that in the story. And uh, I think it's very important for people to understand what you did over at Ford and how you changed the game. And, and you know, I'm, at the outset of this, I said how much I wanted to, you know, I wanted to interview you and, and how much others revere you as a leader. I mean, a true leader in, the, you know, this digital transformation strategy, social media, marketing. Um, and at Ford, you were the global head of social media for all intents and purposes. That was your title. Tell me a little bit more about what you did in, how long were you at Ford? Was it uh, 10 years? Six years. Six years. If so in your, ten. what's that? Felt like 10. Yeah. Um, in the six years at Ford, where did you take them digitally or on social? How did you change, change it? And I, and I do want to go into influencer marketing afterwards because your model for influencer marketing with that brand um, is being copied everywhere now. And um, people directly credit it to you. So, but let's just talk about the transformation over six years. Where did it start? Where did you end up? And then why did you leave? Well, you know, when I got to Ford, the, the function had been created for me. Uh, you know, they, they, they created the position and then they, they sought to hire for it. Uh, and, and they told me that they had spoken to about 50 people before I got there. My name kept coming up. Uh, and w wouldn't I just come in for an interview? Because I was a little skittish about leaving Boston, where I had been for 20 years, to move out to the Detroit area. And yeah, it's probably a... I can understand the hesitation. Yeah, and and that's one of the things I talked with Christopher about. You know, him, he moved from the New York area uh, to out here. And it, it really wasn't that bad. And, and once I walked in the doors of Ford, well, first of all, it's a legendary place. And when you're driving up and you see this this 14-story building rising out of nowhere with a huge blue oval on the top of it. <laughs> and it's a piece of, of, of America. It's, it's an American icon. And it's, it's a global icon. And you suddenly realize, whoa, uh, this is the big leagues. Uh, and, and, and the name of the founder is still on top of that building today. Uh, it's something I took very, very seriously. And I, I learned right at the feet of the master, uh, the CEO of Ford at the time, Alan Mulally, what an honor it was to serve because that's what we were doing. We were serving at the pleasure of the board or at the pleasure of, you know, our superiors. We were serving customers and serving dealers and serving suppliers and all of the people that we ran into. This was an honor to be carrying on this tradition. And to know that Ford had never done anything in this space before and, and that it was a complete blank canvas, I was thrilled because it, mean, it, it meant I could make mistakes and start over or I could, you know, just kind of go my own way. It, what it was ultimately was the, was the ultimate in entrepreneurship, only as David Armano calls it, I was an intrapreneur. <laughs> You know, an internal entrepreneur. I had the safety net of the company, but I could still do 
not not whatever I wanted. You know, obviously this was in within the confines of the business strategy and the communications group and the marketing group. But I could be as creative as I needed to. I could try new tools. I could I could go where no one had gone before in Star Trek parlance. <laughs> so, you know, having that type of like everyone dreams for that, right? Anybody that works for a brand or any company or even, you know, even is working for themselves or has their own business and has clients. I mean, they strive to have that type of uh, leash, so to speak. I mean, you, you really didn't even have a leash. You were allowed to run around free there. Um, what were the things that you saw in that industry, you know, in auto, the auto industry, which is, it's a tough industry. I mean, now I think a lot of brands are doing a good job, you know, with social and digital, they're embracing it. Um, I know Chevy competing example, but they've been doing a great job with live video. They've been using it to really uh, push, you know, the, the new vault. They did that. I think at CS last, or was it CS in January? They did the whole reveal. They did it on, you know, Facebook Live, which was, you know, was really cool to see that. You know, most of us don't go to these things. And um, where do you see, or where, I guess, what opportunities did you create for the auto industry? Because I, I truly believe that you were a pioneer for the entire auto industry, not just Ford. So what opportunities do you believe you created that were, you know, maybe we'd still be struggling to find in that industry? Well, first of all, full credit to uh, Chevrolet and, and their success. I think they've really, they've turned things around there. And I think they're now in some ways beating Ford at its own game. Well, that's because you're well, not at Ford, not anymore. Ford anymore. Let's be well, real. Also because my former direct report is running things at Chevy. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad he, I'm glad he learned something and carried it. And he was already a bright guy to begin with Craig Deitch. Um, he, he was, he was just a, a pleasure to deal with. And I'm not surprised that they're succeeding under him. Um, but I, I think one of the one of the ways I approached things on behalf of the team at Ford was to simply be myself. You know, I reasoned. Well, there, there were a couple things that were going on. First of all, I got there in July of two thousand eight, and ten days after I arrived, and and it looked like Ford was starting to turn the corner because Alan Mulally's promise was to make Ford profitable again by twenty twenty oh nine. And in April of 2008, the company had uh, claimed a first quarter $100 million profit. And I thought, wow, they're, they're already on the, on the move here. This is great. Well, <clears throat> 10 days after I arrived, it was time for Q2 reporting. And the company reported an $8.7 billion quarterly loss. It's, it's largest in its corporate history. And I called my wife and I said, don't pack everything yet. I may be back. Um, and then after that, the whole global automotive carpocalypse uh, was upon us. I mean, the whole auto industry imploded. And that's when we all found ourselves in front of Congress and, you know, the bailout hearings began. And of course, Ford didn't take the money. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, what I was doing was establishing... Um, a presence wherever I could without the benefit of having corporate accounts yet. The, the at Ford Twitter handle was taken. 
by some guy who squatted on it and never tweeted uh, again in, in like three years. The company eventually got it, but at the time it was, uh, I, I don't even remember what we had, maybe Ford Drive One. The Drive One was the, the corporate phrase at the time. That didn't really seem to strike me as something that a big brand should be, <laughs> should be touting. Prob you know? Probably not. So I used my own account. I, I already had at the time, this was what, uh, July of 2008, I had like 3,500 Twitter followers. Uh, so Big time. You were big I, time at the time. Well, it, was, it was moderately influential, and I, I was in touch with a lot of people in the tech industry, right, which Ford typically did not have its tentacles into. It was more concerned with talking to the business press and the automotive press and people that already listened to them. But Ford needed to change its reputation. It needed to help people understand that it was doing things differently, that it had a plan, that it had uh, the ability to finance that plan, uh, that it had uh, some amazing products coming, and it had a really good leadership team. And, it, and, and our job was to help improve Ford's reputation. So I lent my personal account to the effort by virtue of having a pretty good following already and having relationships with people that needed to hear the story. And people thought I was crazy for going to Ford. Like, wh why are you going to a loser like Ford? Why don't you go to Toyota? Toyota's on top. And I reasoned that I didn't want to ride coattails. I wanted to be part of a great comeback story. And based on what I saw at Ford, I reasoned that by 2010, there was going to be, you know, this, this comeback for Ford. And there was going to be a huge public upsurge in the adoption of social media. And at the nexus of the two, there would just be this explosion for Ford. And that's, that's exactly what ended up happening. So my, my personal approach was actually uh, was underscored by virtue of the fact that, remember I mentioned that the name of the founder was still on the logo? Mm -hmm. Henry Ford, was, he was like the Steve Jobs of his era. He was personally connected with Ford. It was, and it's still a family-run company. So I reasoned that, well, why wouldn't you want to put real human beings out there talking with other human beings? Why would you want people talking to a brand, to a logo? People respect other people. And that's exactly how the strategy played out. People saw that there were people like them that they could trust that worked at Ford and heard the story. And we were off to the races. You mentioned, well, let's actually, let's, so the influencer, uh, you just, you just mentioned it, right? Where real people being used, how was that different? I mean, I think I know the answer, but how was that different at the time from other brands and not just auto brands, but any brand out there? How was that so different and, and how difficult was it for you to prove that it was worth, uh, you know, trying to use real, real people to, to get the brand out of, you know, the hole they were in. Well, there were, there were really a couple of elements. Um, and, and one is what I would call influencer relations. And the other is what I would call influencer marketing. We used both and both were extremely effective, particularly in those early days. A month after I got there, the communications team was putting on its annual ride and drive for the media come out to the Ford test track, check out all the new cars that are going to be in the market next year and listen to our corporate spiel. You know, same thing they've done every year. And who did they invite? They invited the automotive journalists and the business press. And I said, well, can I invite some bloggers? 
I said, sure. And, and by the way, we already have automotive bloggers. You know, who, who else are you going to invite? And well, but let's, as long as Ford is talking about its four pillars, quality, green, safe, and smart. I said, let's, let's invite some folks from the fashion world for quality. Uh, let's invite uh, folks from the sustainability movement for green. Let's invite some mom bloggers for safety. And let's invite tech bloggers for smart. Right? So we brought in about 10 folks, and they were clearly uh, not of the make of the rest of the people there, all these crotchety old auto journalists. And they kind of looked askance at them. Um, but you know what? We were able to reach new audiences. And, you know, as Brian Solis says, these, these people have audiences of audiences. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we reached them in a way that we otherwise wouldn't be able to. It was authentic because they got to come, come see us and to experience something themselves. Uh, and it was, it was completely out of the ordinary. In January, that, that was in August, in January at the uh, Detroit Auto Show, we invited 25 bloggers, right? And again, took GM by total surprise. So the next year, they invited 25 bloggers, but we were already one ahead of them. We invited 50. The year after, they invited 50. We invited 100. You know, it's like Sean Connery in, um, um, I'm blanking on that movie with Kevin Costner, The Untouchables. Yeah. You know, the other guy... The other guy pulls a gun, a knife, you pull a gun. It's the Chicago way, right? <laughs> that was the Dearborn way. And, and we eventually, because all of these people that were coming, they were coming year after year. And we were talking with them in between events. We were building relationships with them. I was commenting on their blogs. I was interacting with them on Twitter. It, it was like we were part of the family. Okay, so, so that was going on on, on one element for influencer relations and it's still going on by the way the other one is in early 2009 uh, as part of the one ford plan where he had the same car all around the world you know there, there, in other words there wasn't a european build versus a u.s build it was all going to be the same car that was kicking off uh, with the fiesta now the fiesta had already gone into production in europe but was scheduled to come to the united states a year later so the marketing team uh, I consulted with them. Uh, they put together a marvelous program called the Fiesta Movement, where we brought a hundred of these Euro spec vehicles to the United States and gave them to a hundred influencers all across the states. And they were of a variety of uh, races and genders and platforms that they were on. But all they had to do for six months was create one video a month for us. Right. That's all they were on the hook for was to create six videos. We gave them a theme each month so it all fit together. Meanwhile, they're out there on Twitter and Facebook and Flickr at the time before Instagram was around mm -hmm. and, and YouTube. And they were out in the wild. So we were getting this massive exposure for this neat new car that nobody had seen before by virtue of these influencers. Then... We took all of their content and we aggregated it by geography, by uh, personality. We aggregated it on a Ford-owned site and we drove traffic to that site. And it was all 100% their content. We didn't edit anything. 
We didn't ask them to remove anything. Um, and they were all fine about it. And we said, we want your honest feedback. And we're going to get that feedback into the engineering team and help them with the next product cycle of the Fiesta so they can make improvements based on your feedback. It was a remarkable success. And over the course of six months, every single lead that we drove, and there were over 133,000 people that signed up to say, tell me more about this car when it comes to the States. That was all due to the power of that influencer program and nothing else. You know, hearing a story like that is, it makes you really understand, or at least grasp the power of, of, you know, influencer marketing and what, and, and how, you know, micro influence is, is such a powerful tool in this digital era. Um, wow. For 133,000 people to be interested in, a, in this vehicle in traditional, with traditional advertising, what do you speculate, or maybe you have data on this, what would it have cost Ford? To get the same number of people interested tr- with traditional methods, we would have cost something in the order of a couple of Super Bowl commercials. I would, I would guess. Okay, so a few million, probably more than a few million. Yeah. And, and it, what was the what was the actual cost for Ford aside from the cars? Um, we we never talked about the uh, the actual cost, but it was less than what it would have cost with right. traditional methods. Obviously, okay. Let's put it that way. Um, and, and what it did is it proved not, not only to the world, but specifically to the company. Because you got to remember, Ford, Ford had gotten a new CEO in Alan Mulally in 2006. Mm-hmm. And he came from outside of the auto industry. He was uh, the COO at Boeing. Um, and, and people doubted whether a non-auto guy could really help turn around an auto company. Um, and, and part of his mantra was transparency and sharing of information and, um, you know, people working together for the greater good. But pretty much all the things we talked about in social during that time. So it, it completely dovetailed with his strategy and the culture change that he was driving. And when I got to Ford, again, outsiders, not really welcome. Uh, this is a company that had been operating in silos for many years and was damn proud of it. And there were bets made, I found out later, as to how long I would last. Uh, Some people didn't give me any longer than six months at the company. Wow. But the fact that this Fiesta movement was such a runaway success proved to the world, and specifically to Ford, that this is something that could work, that this strategy was sound and that it was reasonable for the way forward that Ford needed to move. I mean, you, you obviously believe in social. social. I mean, social media, digital media uh, as not only, I don't want to say just the, the, it's not the wave of the future, it's the wave of right now, right? I mean, this is, this is where we're, we're, we're living. What, uh, what kind of, I don't want to say, I, I hate asking for predictions because that's such a cliche, but, well, you know, where do you see things going because like you were a pioneer. So where do you see things going now? We're in 2016, almost 2017. What's the next frontier? Well, you know, I, I looked at this uh, over the last year or two, and I, I saw, you know, because social had been so huge so quickly, and it's human nature, we are 
we 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 moved away from becoming hunters and gatherers and and became more um you know the the industrial type and eventually the knowledge economy came upon us but still at the core of our brains we are hunters and gatherers and when you look at how social started and how everyone went out chasing followers and likes and fans until they could get as many as they possibly could and and facebook even incented brands to spend money to go buy fans and we we know you know what a folly that was mm-hmm. what it set them up for that's human nature so a couple of years ago i predicted that we would begin to see the pendulum swing the other way where there would be uh, the great defriending that went on um but more importantly that people would start focusing on one-to-one conversations or one-to-few conversations again. Back when, back back the way it was before Twitter and Facebook and everything got ruined <laughs> by oh. by everyone joining on board, right? Oh, of course. When it was a when it was a, a an intimate place, you know, where where you could look around and see all your friends. That's what humans crave, you know. There, there's uh, th- this number, uh, and I, I forget what it's called, but they they estimate if you get more than 150. Uh, people in your friend circle. Yep. It's it's hard to follow. It's hard to follow along. It's hard to keep up with everyone. I mean, that's that's part of the problem with Facebook is the algorithm uh, takes that it's into like account. Dunbar's number, though. Dunbar's number. That's the one. That's the one. Um, that, again, human nature. So what are we seeing now? We're seeing people retreating to uh, Instagram or uh, you know the messaging system on Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp and Messenger. And these more intimate places that are away from brands and that are away from the hustle bustle. So we're, we're in the midst of that right now. Where we're going in the next year or two, I think it'll continue to focus on the visual communications. And we've seen that in spades. And again, back to our origins as human beings, cave writings, you know, drawings on the wall. Uh, this is how we started out. And this is exactly what we're back to even though we're sophisticated and have uh, a very advanced language. Um, obviously, Facebook is looking to push uh, video and live video as much as it can. I think Facebook is becoming the new television. Um, and, and, and like it or not, Facebook is a media company. Whether they want to admit it or not, they are a media company because that's where people are going to check for news. They may not be producing news, but they're distributing news. Um, Beyond that, you know, I'm a little less bullish on things like virtual reality and augmented reality. I think we've got a long ways to go yet before the mainstream catches up with it. You know, I mean, the mainstream just caught up with Facebook a couple of years ago. Uh, it, AR and VR, when they require hardware and additional add-ons to your devices, that takes a little bit more of a commitment. Yeah. Um, and then beyond that, I think looking at uh, looking at the autonomous world, whether it's autonomous vehicles, uh, whether it's chatbots, you know, I mentioned going deep into those messaging systems, you know, now with customer service and payments and uh, news updates and lots of different things happening through those messaging systems, I think we're going to see a lot more activity in the bot world uh, than previously and obviously very bullish on uh, where self-driving cars are going too. I think it's uh, 
it's safe to say that we're moving towards uh, a world that is closer to Skynet than anything else, right? I think Skynet's it's it's coming. Scary. Scary. <laughs> um, all right. Last question that I want to I, I wanted to get out of out of you: the transition <clears throat> from corporate to kind of doing your own thing. And I know you're you know you just started back up with with brain trust and whatnot. It's, it's still it's still something you started. What was the hardest part about that? And what advice do you have for those that are in a corporate environment or they're working for the man somewhere? What, what advice do you have for someone that does? Because I mean, we hear a lot of fluffy advice, like go out there and chase your dreams and follow your heart and be passionate. But like what real, I, I know you're a realistic, you know, you're a realist. So what realistic advice do you have for someone that's like, oh, Look at that. He went on from Ford and he's successful on his own now. And what, what kind of advice do you have for those, those individuals? You know, when I was at Ford, I heard from a lot of people because I, my services were called for, uh, around, uh, the internal uh, part of the company. HR wanted to talk to me for a variety of reasons. Um, it legal, uh, Ford credit, uh, the customer service division, they all wanted me to come and and, and help them out with stuff. So I would. It wasn't part of my job description. You know, my job was basically external facing, but I did it because I thought it was the right thing to do. It's what the company needed. And I wanted to bring everyone along on this journey. And more than one person uh, remarked to me while I was there, oh, you're, you're really good at this. You should, you should do this for a living. I said, well, I, I am doing this for a living. I'm, I'm working here at Ford. I said, no, no, you should go into consulting. And I always kind of poo-pooed it. I was like, ah, yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, it's, things are good here. And, you know, I, I, I can't see myself taking a risk like that. You know, I mean, this is, I work at a company with 165,000 people. I, I couldn't just make the jump and, 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 and be on my own. Well, it eventually got to the point where, I, I had just had enough of corporate life. I didn't have the joy of the entrepreneurial spirit anymore. Uh, that had kind of evaporated after a while. And I, I knew I wanted to, to be calling the shots. And I kind of looked at things. I thought, well, you know, I, there's never going to be a, a perfect time to do this. I mean, if, if you've never been an entrepreneur before and, and you're wondering when's the right time, now, now is always the right time because now is when you're thinking about it. Um, there are plenty of resources out there to help you actually structure your business and uh, put tools together and all the rest. And if you've got a good support network and if you're well respected in the industry, you can obviously get away with uh, finding some clients for yourself. So I thought, well, why not now? You know, I'll try it. If, if I don't like it, if I'm horrible at it, I can always get back into the workforce working for somebody else. And I did that uh, over two years ago, and I haven't looked back. And it was just a matter of trusting my instinct. And yeah, you got to chase your dream, but boy, you, you got to make sure you're good at what you do too. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. You know, I mean, passion and our friend Gary Vee, hustle, very, very important elements of the entrepreneur. But if you don't know your crap, and, and if you are just a theorist, and this is where brain trust comes in, if you're just a theorist and you haven't done this before, like inside a brand, and you're trying to coach other big brands to do it, mm -hmm. 
they're 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 going to see through that. And 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 unless you've had some significant experience working alongside them and proving that you, you know what you're doing and that your uh, your methodologies work and deliver results, because that's what business people like to see. They like to see results, particularly around the bottom line. Uh, then you may as well hang it up. I am. Uh, I'm really glad you said that because being good at something, talent. Um, maybe not so much just raw talent, but, you know, uh, having that knowledge, having, like you said, the experience, it's, it's necessary. It's first and foremost above just passion and hustle, because you, you know, you could just be passionate and hustle at something you're bad at, and doesn't mean you're going to make money doing it. So, um, you know, I'm glad you brought that out and you said there's, there are tools available and, you know, this freedom economy series that's been brought to you guys by Spera for those listening. Uh, Spera is a project management invoicing uh, payment processing tool, which has been made available for 30 days free to the listeners by going to brandboostcast.com forward slash freedom. Um, you know, this is one of many tools available to those that want to go on their own that have no idea how to get started. Um, but if you're really good at something like Scott said, and you have passion and hustle, then it can work for you. Scott, I appreciate you taking time this morning. Early in the morning, right? Kind of early, not really. It's, uh, like, not it's like midday for both of us. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's been a, a real treat, Vincenzo, and um, I'm really glad we got to do it. And I, I've got the feeling, I don't know if you do, that, that we could continue this conversation for another couple of hours. And really, the only two interested people would probably be you and I. So let's let's uh, let your listeners off easy. We'll let listeners off easy. Where can they find you aside from actually, you can give them the podcast address again, but where can they find you? Well, the easiest way to find me is scottmonty.com. That's my main blog. You can subscribe to the newsletter and the podcast from there. And then you can find my company at braintrust.partners. We've got a blog ourselves there. Check us out. See what uh, we're all about and what our client list looks like. And uh, if you have needs in that area, we'd love to hear from you. There it is, folks. Scott Monty, the full Monty or full Monty show. Sorry. It's a fantastic show. If you want to listen to this voice over and over, not mine, Mr. Monty's, that's where you go to do that. Chat with him. uh, Look him up. Make sure you you uh, connect with him. If you are. Hey, if you are a Fortune 500 listening. Highly recommend this man right here to help you in your digital transformation. Scott, again, I say thank you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks. This has been a VincenzoLandino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Brand Boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review, or subscribe. Head on over to brandboostcast.com forward slash subscribe.